Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. One year, midway through or two-thirds of the way through, Ted, I had a particularly good one. And it was four days, I think four or five days. And it just so happened that on uh, day one, day two, and day three, among the speakers, uh, the first day I had somebody who wasn't as famous then as he became, and that was, uh, that was the head of Microsoft. He had been to, uh, back this was a, a fairly early tent. He, had, uh, he probably was a multimillionaire, and that was, I mean, he, he knew, we knew he was head of Microsoft, which was the evil empire. At, at that time, because most everybody in the room was, was, was Mac users. But we knew he was wealthy and he ran the company, but he wasn't famous like uh, some other big executives at that time. Anyway, I introduced him by saying, Bill Gates. Uh, I never gave introductions because people had a program that had it. I'm not going to read to them what they can read themselves. And it takes time. If you realize it takes you a minute to read an introduction or give an introduction, and sometimes two minutes, and you have 70 speakers, you've just taken 140 minutes, you've taken two hours out of the conference. I mean, you have to think about a conference of your only commodity is time. So I just said, Bill Gates, and he came up. And uh, the next day, the most famous uh, uh, executive in the United States who sat next to the president's wife at the at the uh, State of the Union speech. That's the biggest honor you get as a as somebody in the United States. They always, the, the wife of the of the president sits up in a balcony. They always focus on her, and and then she has a few guests. But there's the person to her right is a specially chosen person, and this year it was was uh, John Scully. And uh, he was very famous. Now, he lost his fame and his polish after the whole debacle at, at Apple. He's now rising up a little bit. And uh, they realized he actually did some amazing things when he was there. But he was really famous when he was the head of Apple. And uh, so I introduced him and I said, John. And he, I, I don't save seats for speakers. I didn't. Uh, it's not the way it is today. I say speaks for no sponsors or VIPs or anybody had to be over 90 or crippled uh, to be on the, to have a seat saved in the front row. And um, so John came up and gave a speech. And the third day, uh, the speaker at a certain time during the day, I said, Q. And she came up on the stage, which was Quincy Jones. And I said, Quincy, before you start talking, let me just show you give you a little life lesson. The more famous you are, the shorter the introduction. Uh, that's fantastic. Think about the people who are somewhat insecure or the person who invited somebody who they're not sure the audience knows because they're well enough or, or, or they need bolstering up. They need it for their ego. They go down a litany of the degrees they had, and they got this award, and they did this. And 
the people who are really well known, I mean, you're going to say who it is? I mean, you, you wouldn't. They would just come up. You don't, you don't announce somebody who everybody knows who they are. So um, when I speak for other reasons, I don't like to be introduced, not to have faux fame, but that who I am should come out of what I say and not what I've done. Uh, because the moment is what I'm talking about. It's not something they have in front of them or because they, they know something about my past. It should be they're interested in something I'm talking about that's going to happen or that I'm thinking about now and in the future. So I basically say that you should either say Richard Saul Werman or you should say nothing, just our next speaker. Well, you, well, you got nothing, Richard. <laughs> you're, you're one letter better than Q. Oh, but you, but there's a, you understand the reasoning behind it. I do. I do. I, I, I love the basis of the, this little chat is that everything matters. And, you know, we, there's so many things we say that we don't know what we're talking about and don't matter. And it's just filler. I love an introduction when somebody says the person I'm about to introduce needs no introduction. And then they go on a five minute introduction of the person. Correct. Correct. <laughs> uh, well, you, you certainly changed the way that I do my podcast. Um, no, if somebody really needs or wants an introduction, they should have it. I'm not making a rule for the world because I don't give a shit about the world. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm making, I'm just saying the logic of what an introduction really means or what the beginning of a book, how the beginning of a book, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It sets up a whole book right. or my name is Ahab. Uh, uh, they call me Ishmael. Ishmael, so I said it wrong. Yeah. So I got corrected. And in that correction, by the way, is a lot. It shows how stupid I am. <laughs> that I didn't get it right and I'm not very literate and that you are more literate, but you knew what I was, but I communicated with you. You, you did. And by the way, I'm going to mark this date on my calendar as the date I corrected Richard Saul Warman. I could be corrected lots. lots. In, fact, <laughs> in the correction, that it allows me to figure out what to say next. I, I think you did that on purpose to make me feel good. So I no, appreciate I that. No, I didn't do it. I did it at <laughs> My inherent stupidity. You said you said in a previous conversation that we had that um, you consider yourself in any room that you're in to be the dumbest person in the room. And I laugh at that because I said to you, then you must be the only person in the room. But if you if you put yourself as the dumbest person in the room, then I am arguably the dumbest person in the block or the town. So it is, it is a metaphor for curiosity. Right. I position myself mentally that everybody else has something to give me that I can learn from. Therefore, I am the, I feel my stupidity. And it's in that feeling of my stupidity is my strength, power, and curiosity. And it has nothing to do with IQ. It has to do with, uh, I, I'm taking advantage of everybody because I can learn from everybody else and nobody, I'm not trying to be 
superior or smarter than they are. I want to be the dumbest person because I want to be the vacuum that sucks in the stuff from everybody else. So you've written 91 books. And in your 90th book, it was called Understanding, Understanding. And you said in that book, a prerequisite to understanding is to admit when you don't understand something. So here's my question. You, you understand a lot. You know, you, 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 at what point um, are, are you not the dumbest person in the room? I mean, you've, you've sucked in all of this information. Is then the next step to move to the next room? <laughs> you didn't get what I said before. No. It's always where whoever you're with has some knowledge, some ideas, some viewpoint, something you agree with, something you don't agree with that you don't know about. And I, I want to be the person who is so vacuous that that comes to me, mm-hmm. that I learn about that. I don't want to be going out there with things. I'd like to be able to come in and form the patterns of relationships between what they say that I either agree or disagree with, uh, either through my failure, my ignorance, or some intelligence. Uh, that I want to be that person and I want to set myself metaphorically up as being surrounded with people that I can gain from. So what are you focused on right now? What are there, are there topics or the things that are happening in the world right now that you want to understand better? (laughs) First of all, I get up in the morning and the most wonderful, wonderful thing about the day has just happened. I'm alive. I got up. Mm -hmm. When you're 85, getting up is a really wonderful, interesting event. Then secondarily, I see what particularly hurts then and what is what is off that day, because every day at 85 is slightly different. The pain goes from one toe to another. It's not the same. But there's no two days in my life that are the same or that I have planned out. I mean, I don't punch a clock. I don't get up at the same time. I don't think the same things. I don't work on the same things. So I don't have a directed life. And sometimes my life thinks about and the question you ask, oh, what's going on in the world? There's a spike going on, headlines in the newspaper, about two things today, about John Bolton's book and about the spiking of uh, C-19 in Florida and two other states. So that's an interesting topic, but I don't go deeper in that because I can't do anything about either. And things that I can't change literally cannot change and does not affect an active pattern of connectivity of the work I'm working on now. Uh, I use the work advisedly and I'll go into that later. Uh, Really don't interest me so much. Uh, uh, if If I like or do not like your mustache, I can't affect it. And so I'm not even going to talk. I don't, it's, it's not a subject. It's not something that I'm going to spend time thinking, well, would he look better with it or w- without it? Because I just don't give a shit. 
it's something I'm looking staring because it's in the middle of my screen. Sure. But things I can't affect, I don't, I don't, I try, I make an effort not to spend any time on them. So what affects me? It always affects me is, is, is it somewhere to a greater or lesser extent is, uh, is in the last five years particularly, I've done a number of paintings and I started just less than a year ago to do something I'd never done before in my life, sculpture. Um, I've never had a lesson in painting and I've never had a lesson in sculpture. Uh, but I'm going to have a fairly good size one-man show at a museum of 40 of my paintings and 10 of my big bronzes in less than a year, and I'm starting to put that together. Um, so I'm thinking about that, and uh, I don't sell them. I've never shown them. Uh, I don't even give them to my kids. They're just leaning up places all around, and, and I just do it. I, I don't I'm thinking a little bit now that I've completed 10 sculptures. They're at the caster now getting cast in bronze and other things, which is an elaborate process. So I'm learning about that process from scratch, which is called Sear Purdue. That's the process of losing wax as you do a series of scanning and then clay and then wax, and then you pour the molten bronze in and the wax molten goes away and is replaced by the bronze. I'm not going to go deeper in that. If you're interested in, look that up. And look at Bellini's work, who was probably the best at that ever. So I've been thinking about uh, sculpture a little bit. I've been thinking about somebody's writing a, a, a biography on me. So I have made it authorized, but I have no censorship. Whatever he puts, I can't change. I proactively have given him six or seven people who I, I respect, but who don't like me. Uh, to interview among a lot of other people who are probably uh, like me, although I found that one didn't. Uh, and that's just okay. Uh, actually having a biography written about you is already a puff piece, even if they say you're a piece of shit. I mean, it's a puff piece in, in existing. So there's no losing on it. It's not, it's not being humble uh, or wanting to be flagellated. Yeah. Uh, quick, quick question, though, before you go on. What was your first painting? What, what, what was the subject? Same as my last painting. You painted the same thing 40 times? I painted the same subject. Okay. And what's the subject? See, the subject of the painting is the painting. Now, that is a quote from Jim Dine, who was a painter, D-I-N-E. Look him up. And he was, I was talking to him, and he was talking to somebody else, and after he'd given a speech one night, when he was asked, Mr. Dine, you know, what's the subject of your painting? And he thought for a moment, and he says, the subject of the painting is the painting. It's how I paint. It's my painting. It's not a bowl of fruit. Yeah. I'm not, I don't care about a bowl of fruit. It's how I paint it. It's the painting. It's not the water lilies. I'm not an expert on water lilies, Monet would say. It's how I paint them. It's the painting. It's the act of painting. It's the art of painting. It's not the subject. It's not a subject like a documentary film has a subject. 
It's not a, it's not a documentation of something. Would you it's, call that your interpretation? Like it's interpretive painting? It's just your painting. It's your painting. So the subject line painting is painting. I paint imaginary birds. I don't think what I'm going to paint. I know it's going to be a bird. I don't know what it's going to look like. This is going to be the way I paint the bird that day. <laughs> and whether it's a hundred birds on one sheet or one big bird, I mean, whatever it is, two birds doing something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I'm going to be. <laughs> right, it's the right. Painting. It's the act of painting. So and, your your show will be in in about in 2021 sometime. Yeah, and um, it's a small museum. The the Carl uh, 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 Gables Museum is sort of giving giving me the museum. There'll be a big timeline. And some other stuff. It'll be, I think it should be nice. It happened by accident because it's just by accident. I met somebody who, who owned a bunch of bookstores down here. And his main bookstore is next to the, this museum in Carl Gables. And he saw the paintings here and he liked them. He says, whose are these? And I said, mine. Really? I said, he says, where have you shown them? Where can I see them? I said, here. And uh, he said, well, the museum next door, they, do they know? I said, nobody knows about it. I've never had a show. I've never tried I don't, not, I don't sell. I don't, my kids want them. I don't give any of them to my kids. I don't give them. I, I just do them. It's for doing. It's for me to go through the exercise. Uh, it's, I'm trying to solve a puzzle. My life is trying to solve various puzzles. The puzzle of doing what I think is a, a good painting. So... He got the head curator and then the head of the museum to come here. And they said, holy moly, we'll give you a, we'll do the whole museum on, on your work, on whatever wow. you want. So wow. that's what it happened. So you talk about your life. You're trying to solve a puzzle. But I've never taken courses in painting. I mean, I'm not a painter. And, and I know that. In, in our last podcast, we talked about how you live kind of a horizontal life. That yeah, the reason There's a choice, vertical or horizontal. And there's little places in between, but basically I agree completely and endorse completely that the world is based on living a vertical life. You get interested in something and you spend your life doing it better, better, and better. And your reputation, your abilities within that subject area, even though it might expand and have a few branches out of it, is basically learning how to play the cello and doing it better, 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 better to become the best celloist in the world. That's mm -hmm. the, the metaphor of it. I mean, yes. That's, that's the thing. You become president of the bank. You, you, you move up doing something and you learn how to do something well. And that's why we get terrific work done. And you get rewards and, a, and awards for doing that. The Academy Awards for doing being an actor. Now, there's another way of living your life, which is doesn't give you as much success in most people's minds or dollar signs. But success also is, is accomplishment. So, but you don't get dollar signs or accomplishment doing a horizontal life. And a horizontal life is a, a life filled with your interests and the connective tissue between interest and interest. So it goes horizontal. You don't ever do anything well. I don't do anything very well. I have no expertise. And I, I disagree. But I, and here's where I disagree. Well, you can disagree, but and, I'm the guy you're interviewing. I, I, <laughs> but, but let me just point but out I one thing. It matters. But let me point out one thing. You are a problem solver or a puzzle solver. 
I'm interested okay. in, in the process in, of solving puzzles. I never get to solve the puzzle. If I got to solve the puzzle, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> I mean, solving a puzzle, you know, you, you, you probably took calculus. I hope you took calculus. And I did. calculus, you never get to the final answer. You get close to an answer. You approach an answer. Both Leibniz and Newton invented calculus almost simultaneously. That's what calculus is. It's a type of mathematics that doesn't get to a final one plus one equals two, but you get close to two. Right. I don't ever want to solve a mathematical, arithmetic problem. But what you, what's interesting is that you would say the first, even the first three quarters of your life were designed around information, the information architecture. And it, all, I, I, my, I, all my life is designed about understanding. But, but you, but you have gone from. It's almost like I would call it like an anal, analytical approach to life, and and a very literal view of the way people approach situations and the words that they use. And now, in the last five years of your life, you've gone to a very two very creative outlets: painting okay. and okay. sculpture. Let me correct your facts. Thank you. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and took up architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in high school, what I was going to do for my life, I was going to be a painter and an etcher and a printer. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't even apply to a college, even though I took the college courses in high school. I didn't apply to a college because I didn't take a language. And you couldn't get into any college without two years of the language. My father says, why don't you take a language so you have the option? So in my senior year, I made a deal with the principal, and I said, I want to take two years of French in one year. Uh, first semester, first year French, second semester, second semester French. I want you to give me credit for two years. So he did it, because I'm abrasive, abrasive, but I'm charming. So I applied only to one school, Penn, and I thought I'd go there for a year, and then I'd go to an art school. <clears throat> I went to Penn, and I was a good student. And uh, I started painting a little bit. And so the first year I was at Penn, we had a University of Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, which is a reputable art school. Uh, they had a big art show, and they had uh, sculpture and painting and watercolors and graphics and drawing, stuff like that. So I added a watercolor of, some, of a bird. And I got first prize. And then the five years I was there, I got five first prizes. And then I didn't paint for 50 years. Why? Because I had done that. And I had other things to do. Nothing is something I want to particularly do forever. I, I sort of did that. And then I came down here and I had gone to China and I bought a roll of rice paper there in Xi'an one day walking down the street. And I brought it home. It was all one meter by half a meter. So I had 40 frames made. I did 40 paintings, then I ran out of frames. So I just started sculpture. It's, 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 just, a, it's just something I do. It's nothing. It's, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying for a career. Do you wake up one day and say, I'm not interested in painting anymore. Um, I'm going to try sculpture? I said I ran out of frames. Okay. It's a convenience. I'll try something I don't know how to do again. I never, I never did a sculpture. 
And so do you have something in the wings that you want to try? You want to learn Spanish? No, I'm very bad at language. I've told you this before. This is going to be boring to the people who heard it before. I can't type. I don't spell well. I can't use a computer well. Somebody set this up and I pushed a button to start this thing. I wasn't even here when it started because I don't know how to do that. Right. I don't know how to do anything. I'm 85. They shouldn't let me drive. I mean, I, it's just, I don't have any skill sets. I can't pole vault. I don't run fast. I don't swim very well except with a noodle. I mean, I, I just don't know how to do anything. Right, right. So it's just my lack of ability that pushes me along to figure out in the in the simplest, not the simplest, in the clearest way what the land of zero is. What's the space, this land that's before the beginning of things? Yesterday I had a comment. There's a group in Washington that are looking at the paper money should have some work on it so it's harder to counterfeit. And so I'm on that committee. I don't know why I'm on that committee, but I get being put I get put on some odd committees. I don't know anybody in Washington. And the reason I was put on the committee is they it has come out that I think differently. That I think I don't try I would I the Tesla, which is everybody's ideal of a car now, and it's in the parlance. What is it? It's a better car. It's a car. Well, it is. It's still just a car. Right. I wouldn't even approach something by saying, I'm going to make a better something. Why would I want to make a better car? I would want to think about what the movement of goods and people is. I wouldn't think about a car. I would go before a car. Do you know, and I think I've told you this before, that the wheels of the car are the same distance apart as the wheels of a train, which are the same distance apart as the covered wagon wheels, which is the same distance apart as the chariot's wheels in Rome. They just kept on taking the wheels of two horses by and kept on making them better and put engines in them and things like that. I would start it from zero. I might come out with wheels the same distance apart, but I wouldn't accept that as a beginning. But people look at that as innovation. They say that's uh, what the, the that's chariot. What they, call, they call Tesla an innovation. Tesla, so you, you, but your Tesla. idea of innovation then, Richard, is something coming up with something completely brand new, not no, making a better no, car. Not, it doesn't have to be new. It, you might find out when you go back to the land of zero that the way they're doing something is perfectly fine to do that. But I would still start before they would start. I would go backwards instead of forwards. The great leap backwards is how I start every problem. The great leap backwards. All right, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. So the, the idea is when you take well, a leap you backwards. Meeting, everybody wants to show off and be smarter than the next guy and make, say no to what anybody's, somebody who you feel competitive with, whatever idea they come up with, you shit on it. And you say it's bad, so you can look better, they can look worse, and you can come up with a better idea. Or you take an idea that the chairman has, and you polish this, and you say, why don't you make it green? Mm. And they go, oh, there's an idea. Why don't you take what we have and make it better? Or get rid of it. 
you don't start with it with just you just start and you you really start from nowhere you, you go to this really terrifying place when, when when i did my guidebooks i didn't make a take a guidebook that i like to make a better guidebook i started from how would you want to what would you want to know what how would you want to feel how would you go if i went to a mall and did a mall intercept the famous mall intercepts for getting people's opinion and i went through and i said would you like to have a guidebook that mixes up all the entries so that architecture might be in a building a building and then a museum and then four restaurants and then a page of maps and then everything mixed up in the history of the city all mixed up and they say what are you crazy <laughs> why would i want a guidebook like that and so but i did my guidebooks that way and they were successful so when you think about what you said, you said, um, you know, thinking about cars, moving people and goods is, is the, when you, when you take that great leap backwards, do you even question the strategic goal of what it is you're trying to accomplish? Do you go even further back and, and ask, why are we even doing this? Like how far back will you go? As far back as I'm smart enough to do. But so the land of zero. When I think of that, I, I think that it even calls into question why are we even doing this in the first place? Yeah, you could see. We think success is a word we use, mm -hmm. which for people means money and initials after your name and power. That's the three things. That's what it means. Okay. The other thing we think of as being good is the word progress. We want to make progress. What is progress? And why do we want to have progress? I mean, I never, I've never said this before. I'm just thinking now. We'd be going up to, to Michelangelo and he's on his back on a scaffolding painting the Sistine Chapel and you climb up a ladder and you go and you say, this is okay, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of churches that have paintings on the roof. And then we want progress, you know. Can you make more progress here, not just, you know, more figures filling up all the space? We want progress. We want something that, you know, you know, maybe make it red. Make it all red or something. I mean, I don't know if that's a good example, but it's like progress at the expense of, of making something that's good work. <laughs> making something that has clarity about it. It's progress is, is in everybody. We need to make progress here. And what does progress mean? It usually is a kissing cousin of success. And it's, we've made so much progress in the 20th, in 20th century. Oh, it's, it's the way they, <laughs> progress. The, the, the joke you could make of progress today is they, you would say, well, it'd be, There'd be less less cases of COVID if we didn't test. Right, <laughs> right, right. I, I thought that would be yeah. less progress. Let's yeah. not test, and we'd have progress. We, you know what the opposite of progress is, right? Go ahead. Congress. Okay. Well, so progress is is have. Oh, here's progress. I have a car, and the booklet in the car, which you can't really quite understand because it's an English car and all the names are on the side of it. 
you know, it's Great Britain and the United States are two countries separated by a common language. And language is different. What they call things are different. It's hard to look up something in this booklet. In any case, let's say it wasn't hard to look up. And you could, you could look something up there and you look up and it says, this car's top speed is 206 miles an hour. Now, that's progress over 150 miles an hour. Sure. But it is less than meaningless. That's really zero meaningful because you can't go 206 miles an hour. Right. Uh, if you gave me a straight path on the salt flats, I wouldn't be able to drive 206 miles an hour. I couldn't handle a car. I've driven on raceways, Laguna Seco, at about 110, I was scared out of my head and I couldn't handle it in a race car, you know, well, a racing model Corvette. Yeah. Was an expert driver next to me. I, I couldn't handle it. And that was, and you can't go that fast anywhere in the United States anyway. So I have a car that goes 206 miles an hour that represents progress because it goes faster. It has 12 cylinders, burns up gasoline. Somebody was doing an interview with me and recording it. And the interview was over and we started talking. His, he's one of the big head people. He, he's smart. And his expertise is um, artificial intelligence. And um, he said, well, the first thing, of course, that we're going to do is have, you know, self-driving trucks. And I said, just wait a minute. I know self-driving trucks is what you're going to do first. But why? Why are you thinking of trucks? Why do you accept as the beginning point that you're going to have trucks delivering goods? Why is trucks a given? Why do you you already have and you get rid of the driver (laughs) and change the world? That's a great point. That is a great point. And the point is that having self-driving trucks even if they're electric trucks. Some of the first cars were electric, by the way, 100 years ago. It's not a change. It's not innovation. It's just trying to make something better. It's a, you know, you can put a, a electric in a car. You can eventually have a hydrogen engine. You can, you can have monkeys with rubber bands drive a car. You can, <laughs> you can have anything. It's, just, right. It, right. it's, it's still a car. But when you're talking about artificial intelligence, it's something else about thinking, not just driving something in its own lane (laughs) and it doesn't bump into the one in front of it. I know it's more complicated than that, but it gets back to when I said that Tesla is still just a car. Right. Right. The car is a nice looking car. He did a good job. He produced it fine. It goes fast. It sells well. Uh, we're all paying for it with our tax dollars because it was subsidized fully. You know, somebody wants to subsidize me for a couple billion dollars and I really wanted to do a car. I, uh, maybe I could do a, another car that was nice. So but what's the last What's the last great innovative product in your mind? The post-it note. <laughs> really? Well, I'm answering it cute because I'm telling you something that nobody asked for. There was not a market for it. Nobody needed it. 
nobody had it. What somebody had fooled around with something and that's all you could do this with it. It was really, it was an epiphany. Okay, I, I see that. Kind of like I'm the cheetah pet. I'm making a joke of it this, for you to see how clear why that why nothing you think is really innovation is so innovative. <laughs> right. Now, if, I, if I hold up my iPhone, I could say, well, that's innovation by addition. There's, there's virtually nothing in the iPhone that was invented by Apple. True. They added the parts together in a very, by addition was their contribution. They added them and styled them. Johnny Ives, Johnny, Johnny designed it well together. Steve Jobs didn't do the software. You know, Waz did the software, uh, the basic software. Probably Jobs asked some good questions. That was sort of innovative. And he bought companies and had it assembled in China. (laughs) Nobody used a screwdriver in America. Uh, So it's innovation as the biggest company in the United States. And it's innovation by addition. Now, there's only five ways of innovation. Okay. You know, I have my five ways of organizing information, right? Mm -hmm the theory of, 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 uh, of latch, right? Location, alphabet, time, uh, category, and hierarchy. Now, there's five ways of innovation. And the acronym is uh, A-A, a nose. A nose. You can remember it. So, so tell me what a nose, the, the acronym a nose. I'm giving you the other letters. Okay. You can add things. That's, what, that's what's done with the, a good example, A example. There's lots of examples, but that's a good example, the iPhone, because we hold it up as a invention, and it isn't. And we say that Apple invented the iPhone, which wasn't even the first smartphone. But there was ones before it. So it, it didn't just, they're not in the innovative trail there. They're, they're in the this, this styling and, uh, and assembly trail, addition. So uh, you have addition. Need, need is a great motivator and maker of innovation. How to get water out of a ground, how to pump things when you need something. Need innovates. Putting a, a rock on the end of a piece of wood to get a hammer is, is from need. Oh, do the opposite of what's going on. One of the great opposites that run through life is the joke. Telling a joke. What is a joke? The joke we laugh at the opposite of in a, the opposite of expectation. We laugh at the opposite of expectation. Guy goes into a bar. He has a big frog on his shoulder, and the bartender says, "You know, where did you get that?" And the frog says, "Oh, they're all they're all over Brooklyn." <laughs> the opposite of expectation. <laughs> yes. Okay. You're expecting the guy to say something, obviously. So see, that's why we laugh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to give you a simple minded one. Sometimes jokes. Which I appreciate. I appreciate. I have a simple mind. I have an audience here. I'm doing it for you. Yes. So we have A L O 
S, my TED conference was the biggest innovation was subtraction. Hmm. I got rid of saving seats. I got rid of the lectern. I got rid of long speeches. I got rid of a conference on one subject. I got rid of sponsors. They only took care of dinners. I, I took no money. I got rid of a dress code. I got rid of cliques, all events, all, everybody attended, on and on and on. I subtracted things. I got rid of panels. I took everything that made up the parts of a normal conference at that time. Every conference was made up of white guys with ties sitting on panels talking about one thing and playing golf in the afternoon. First two rows were the people who paid for the conference, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. None of that. I took got rid of all the, the, the kit of parts that made a conference, long introductions, et cetera, et cetera. So now we're in opposites. Now what's the last word is E and that's epiphany. There are some people, in a sense, Ted also was an epiphany I had. Epiphany of, of a horizontal life, of learning from people who do different things and seeing the connections, which is the opposite of a vertical life, which we've already talked about. But there's a lot of people do the opposite, a lot of it. Niels Bohr got the Nobel Prize, had great debates with Einstein. Mm -hmm. When he had a profound thought, the opposite of it was also profound. Opposites come into physics, into mathematics, biology, into writing, into, into jokes, into, into all kinds of discoveries of taking the other path. The salt vaccine was a dead virus. That was a big deal. They used live viruses till then. The most popular vaccine for polio was the Sabin virus, but it was a live virus, and that's why we still have polio. There's still polio in the world because mm -hmm. we have a live virus being given to people, comes out in their feces, and it's still alive. There's no uh, polio that came out of anybody who got the dead virus that Saul invented. Right. Anyway, the opposite, that's all. So, so five ways of innovation. Are you ever taught that in school? No. The answer is no. We ever taught that there's five ways of organizing information in school? No. no. We ever taught that you're on, that you're only taught short-term memory for tests and forget it in school that you don't do things that just interest you? No. We ever there's just nothing that we we it's always the opposite. Right. I'm not a contrarian. You think of me as a contrarian, and you'd say. Oh, Worman, he's funny and all, and he's a contrarian. Does everything, and I say, no, I am not a contrarian. Everybody else is. All right, so from that point, no, 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 hold on. I'm doing things that are, have clarity, and everybody else is fucking apeshit. <laughs> all right. But here's, and I, I, I told you about this conversation I had with my youngest daughter who came home and, uh, and, and thinks like you do, Richard. Uh, and I told her that. And I said, that's the greatest gift that you have is this ability to look at things the way you do. And she said, you know, we were having wine. And she said, you know, why is that called a wine glass? Because somebody said, oh, it's a wine glass. And then everybody followed along, though. But it's, it's, to me, it's 
that we somebody named something, somebody did something, and we've all taken that well-worn path because that's the only path that we know. But there are people like you and like my youngest you daughter. Glasses, then you make fancier glasses, but they're still glasses. Right, but 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 there are people who refuse to accept this well-worn path and say, you know what? You know what? I don't refuse to accept it. I don't even know it exists. Right. Okay. And maybe that you've always started. You said this. You've always started off on the path of seeking. Yeah, path of zero and the path of learning about understanding. Yes, I don't do it to be different. This is a fundamental thing that don't teach us to don't don't have your your daughter think of doing things differently. Do them correctly. Don't do things differently. Don't do things that are just better versions of what's being right. Done. Right. Do things that from the basically make sense. Right. I, and I love that. I love the, the, the idea of it starts off at zero, the land of zero, when you look at something. And then that way, all options are open to you, you know, because now you have no preconceived notion about how something should be or it could be, but you're going to look at it and you're going to come up with your own path and your own solution. It would be impossible for me to learn to type once I looked down and saw the keyboard spelled quirky. Right. Why? Why is it Q-W-E-R-T-Y? Tell me that. Why is it that? Okay. Why, why is there not on a computer keyboard one of the keys that say C-O-M on it? One key right. punch it and it says dot C-O-M because you use it all the time. Why? Why? Why is? Why don't you think of how people think, write, and talk? Uh, I, 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 I couldn't even begin right, to learn right. their way of spelling. Right. What you're talking about too is changing behavior. I, I wanted to. I want to cover one last thing though, and, and and this is something that you said to me recently, and you said no one is telling the truth today, and you know data. You know when we when we make a statement and we back it up with, oh, well, the data says, you said data is not the truth. It has no meaning. Can you expand on that just a little bit? Because I found that to be profound, but. I would say meaning is, is, is more than a kissing cousin. It has an incestuous, positive incestuous relationship with understanding. Meaning does. Yeah. Right. You gave the example, I think, the other day of, of the Dow going up 40, and I said, what's the Dow? Has right. no meaning. What are the stocks on the Dow? Has no meaning. How are they changed, and why do they change, and who changes them? It has no meaning. You can't talk about it. You can't have a headline in the newspaper saying, the Dow went down 1,500 points. Why? What does it mean? If it doesn't have understanding, it has no meaning. It's a lie. Something without any meaning presented to you purposely is a lie. If you present something that you don't understand purposely and you don't understand it and it has no understanding to the other individual, it's a lie. That's what a lie is. So, so give, give me an example of something that has meaning that you've presented purposely. Well, my whole book 
on death is all making death understandable. And that's called mortality. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can't buy it. It's a, I told you it was out of print. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I don't talk about any books that you of mine that you can buy. You were able to get some, but yes, I yes. used copies. I, I still got them. <laughs> I st- I'm sorry. Did they come? Uh, no, it's in the mail. I got five of them. Okay, but you understand what I'm saying. I do. I'm not flogging that book. Not at all. Okay. All right. Last last question. What what book are you reading right now? What's that green book on your desk? Oh, that's a book that Carrie uh, Van Patter wrote that I wrote a little script for, which is about uh, a very academic way of uh, looking at information architecture rules, rules, a kind of academic uh, outline of a big course in it. You know, there's a society of information architects around the world that has a meeting, 70 groups that have a meeting for one day a year in September, I think it is, called Information Architecture Day, named after information architecture, which is a term I created. And uh, they have things among themselves and they write things. Half of them don't even know that I exist. <laughs> Do you find that ironic? That information, <laughs> information architects don't know who the father of information architecture is? Uh, I think blood, you would say blood is, I'm just looking down, blood is fairly important, right? Yeah. Uh, I have a blood type, you have a blood type. Do you know what your blood type is? I do. Uh, who who came up with the blood types? I, I wasn't Hippocrates, was it? <laughs> it certainly was not. Right. <laughs> I, I went back to zero. I'm sorry. No, but you understand what I'm saying? Right. Blood is one of the, I'm taking one of the basic things of the human body. In, in, a, in a cop show, what do they show? Blood. What do we talk about? Blood. Yeah, that blood. Blood is... Is, is one of the fundamental things in medicine. We always talk about blood. Right. Blood is life. Blood is the fuel of our body. It takes it to takes everything out. And you don't know who the hell came up with typing blood. I, I don't. I don't. So if that was a Jeopardy question, I would have to pass. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying there's a fundamental thing that you have no idea of. And most people do not know their blood types. And that's unfortunate. That's that's something you should know. Which are universal? Which one is this? Which is that? Right. What's the difference between blood and plasma? Plasma, plasma is the uh, is artificial. It's artificial. Not blood. Artificial. No, it is not. What is it? It's part of blood, and you distill blood down. Part of it's plasma. Okay. The clear part of blood. Some, actually, the essential part of blood is the plasma, not the red stuff that goes down. It's the plasma. All right. I'm just saying the most fundamental, what's the biggest organ in your body? What's the I'm second say, biggest organ in the body? I'm going to say my heart, my brain. Okay, you're wrong about both. The biggest <laughs> organ is your, is your skin. Okay. It's considered an organ. The second biggest is the liver. So you, you, I'm talking about fundamentals here that you don't know anything about, and you, and, and it's you, it's but, you. But, 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 but let me let me counter that. Let me counter that. How about you? Who who said one of the biggest um, one of the biggest uh, anxieties of the modern information era is the people are the people who feel like they have to know it all. I don't feel that way. I don't, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. Hey, I don't, 
So next to you, I am the dumbest person in the room, and I'm learning. You think I feel that way? But I certainly, if I started, if I'm going to spell, I want to know the alphabet. Would you not think the organs of your body, blood, and things that are are, skin, are are, 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 are your alphabet of the body? I mean, it's things that you would start with. And that's a great point. You couldn't start with the hairs in your nose. No, I would not do that. I would. So I was taking the simplest question. I I wasn't. These weren't trick questions. (laughs) Couldn't ask simpler questions about the body. I didn't know my blood type, so I got to be in the top half, right? Am right. I, if, if this is pass fail, I, I might be passing. Exactly what I'm saying. I, I do know what you're saying. I, I think people focus on the wrong but information. I don't think of anything unless I can answer the simplest questions about it. But but you know when you look at modern well, society, what, then there's nothing to build on. You're, you're right. You're right. When you look at modern society, here, Richard, and you're starting up here with with everything else you know, and you don't know all this. So you can't really make good decisions. I know how a big press works. A huge press works printing seven colors or so in a big printing house Mm -hmm. that costs multi, multi millions of dollars and stretches maybe 300 feet or 200 feet. I know what it can do. I know what adjustments you can make on it. I know how fast it goes. I know what kind of papers you can put in, how it gets run through. So I know what I can design and have it do. Right. And I printed I printed millions of copies of magazines on those presses. I couldn't tell you how they run. I've watched them run, but I know the output. Every press run for every book, I watch it. I stop the presses. I check it. I look at the stuff with the loop. I do. I want to know what it can do and if it's doing it. I don't I'm not going to trust the pressman. So, so uh, last question. I, I, then I can, I can tell it what to do. And <laughs> right. I know what I can do. The book you have, Understanding, Understanding. Right. I told you it was done with two people. Which is incredible. With 700, over 700 pages, right? I don't care how many pages. It's yeah. a complicated book, though, right? It very. One person doesn't know how to use a computer or can type. That's me. One person didn't know how to do graphic design. That was her. Two of us did the whole book because it's I phenomenal. know in print. I can tell you page 15 is my favorite part of that book. That I don't know by pages. Okay. Okay. Wait, you mean the book that you wrote? You don't know what's on page 15. Okay. I and thought I it was. Have, I don't have an index because I want to just flip through it. I don't want to find anything specifically. Right. You know what? And you're not going to promote it, but I will. For anybody who's got an inquisitive mind or... You know, and it's not a book that you have to read cover to cover. It doesn't read like that. It doesn't, but you can pick it up and start anywhere. And it is so fascinating, the book. And it's over 700 pages. So I love that. Uh, Richard, we're out of time. And I apologize because I love talking to you. I, I learn something. I learn 10 new things every time I talk to you. Uh, I love the, my takeaways today are going to be the land of zero, the great leap backwards, meaning and understanding are incestuous terms. And uh, I think that's it. That's what I got for now. Success. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they are not 
interchangeable. They're not even distant well, cousins. They're, they're, they're not really, they're the words of our day. They're our parlance and they're meaningless. Right, right. I think a lot of people in, in, in life, what, what did, um, uh, what did uh, Thoreau say? The most men lead lives of quiet desperation. He found that out after two years of living in a cabin in, on Walden Pond. Talk about clarity and going back to the land of zero. He came out of it and he said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think that's what's happening in life today. I don't think people take time because it's moving so fast and we've turned up the treadmill. I don't think people do what you do. They don't take that greatly backwards because they're afraid of not being progressive, not moving the ball forward. And they're not even questioning the path that they're on. And is this even where I want to be? And they're going to wind up, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road going, how the hell did I get here? I, I realized that I, for, for quite quite a while, I have, I have no ambition. You know, ambition is another word like success. And, uh, but I don't, I really do not understand what I could be ambitious about. What would, in what I do, my ambition is to do what I do, but that's not ambition. My life would look like the antithesis of ambition because I'm not trying to do more things or, or get bigger or have more things to do or have me be called and asked to do things. I'm talking to you as a favor today. And I appreciate I say, that. I say, I appreciate that. But I do. But I didn't say it for that response. I'm just saying... Right. You know, I have no need for this, and I, I have no ambition, nor does it tickle my ambition button or something that somebody called me to talk to me. Right. Uh, right. I just, there's a lot of people who write me, and I, I always respond to their call. Mm -hmm. If they don't put a phone number down, which most people don't anymore, I say, if you would like to call me, I will speak with you. And I give them my phone number, and they call and they said, well, I'd like you to do this. I said, why? Well, you have such a, you've done all this. You know, I said, you're talking about all the things I've done. I'm sorry, I don't talk about those. Now, if you can talk, if you want me to talk about what I'm thinking of doing next, that might be interesting. It might be interesting. Yeah. What do you want to do next? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I can't tell you what I'm going to talk about. Just what are you doing now? And it which be, it could be hemorrhoids. No, <laughs> well, I'm serious. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not my past. My past already happened. Right. On a subject. I think most people enjoy hearing you speak, Richard. Whether you appreciate this or like this or not, is that you challenge them and the path that they're on. You make them question what are you doing? Where are you going? And why are you going there? Have you, because I don't understand it. I'm not helping them. I'm not trying to help them. I know that. I know that. And, but, but that maybe that's a, maybe that's collateral. That's a, a, and if you want to have a conversation, that has to make sense. If you don't know the co companies or how the companies are chosen on the big board on, on Dow, you know, then what are we talking about? Right. You're talking about you're talking about one thing, I'm talking about another. We're going like this. There's no reason for the conversation. But but most people don't realize that. And and now and now most people is a phrase that is not in my vocabulary. I don't believe in the 
in that phrase, most people. Most I'm people glad I said it. <laughs> that and very. I well, know very. Most, most people mean, what does it mean? Tell me what most people means. You've used it three times in the last 10 minutes. Tell me what it means. It's uh, a generalization. Now, what does it mean? It, it, it's me trying to make a point and. What would be most people? If there's 8 billion people on the earth, what's most people? I would assume 4 million and one, 4 billion and one people, a simple majority. A majority, uh, uh, over half of the people. Right. Well, there's not one over, there's not, you couldn't think of a subject, a question, a color that 4 billion people agree upon. Right. Right. So most people don't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything is what I'm trying to say. Right. Most people in the United States doesn't mean anything. I have two people who work for me here, one outside, and I so as three people I couldn't. Most of them don't believe in anything together. It's it's a generalization to prove a point, and, and it's it, you would call that lazy, and I would call that lazy. And if I thought about it, I would probably restate it. And that's, but that is what I appreciate when I talk to you. You make me think about the words that I choose when I'm talking to you, and 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 you challenge me, and which I which I like, because I have when I'm lazy and when I'm trying to get stuff done, I take this easy, well-worn path, and I don't in in those cases I don't produce my best work because. I'm just trying to push it through and it's crap. And I just, I do it anyway. And I almost said most people, but I was going to say most people. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, it's a crutch. It's a crutch that we use. And, and, um, but you're, you're again, I, I agree with you on that. It's slow down and think Slow down. Take that, like you said, that great leap backward and think. You know, Cicero said, silence is one of the great arts of conversation. Absolutely. And several musicians say that music is made up of the space between the notes. Right, right. And I I would say at TED every year, the best part of this conference is, is the time between the sessions. Right. And most Mo- oh, my God. All right. So now that's like the ums and the uhs that, that they tell you to get rid of in broadcasting. I sometimes use the term very. I slip up. Right. I slip up on some things. I am not perfect in my speech or perfect in what I'm correcting you on. But I really do think about my words so that they have clarity and that there's meaning that I can explain to a literate 12-year-old underneath what I'm saying. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for spending the last hour with me, hour and a half almost. It's always great to talk to you every time. And I don't use notes. I know. And, 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 and I try not to. Well, we want that unedited, unscripted conversation. You never know where it's going to go. Okay. Send it to me when you're finished so I can send it on to Dan Klein. I will. Richard, he, thank he'll, you. He'll call you and talk to you about the book. Okay, I'd love to. I'd love to. I can tell him about the time we split a pastrami sandwich in your hotel room in New York with my son. Okay. 
My son thinks you're one of the funniest people he's ever met. Funny? Funny. He, he actually used the term funny. Well, what, what was he referring to, do you think? Uh, we were talking about a fly that was in the hotel room, and he pointed it and he said, oh, do you see the fly there? And you said, see the fly? Why don't you fucking hit it? <laughs> he that was he, what's that? He thought that was funny. He thought that was hysterical. He thought yeah. that was absolutely hysterical. So, uh, yeah, and a couple of other things that you said. that uh, he, We walked out of there, and I said, so what do you think? He said, I think he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. <laughs> so you made a good impression. Okay. Okay. All right, Richard, enjoy the rest of your day. And it was great catching up. And I look forward, I'll send you the uh, transcript when it's done. And, you know, we'll clean it well, all by up. By the way, this huh? is not be in the thing, but I'll tell you one thing about the sculpture, because you asked me what the subject of my things are. And I said, the subject of the painting is the painting. The first sculpture I ever did, and that's the first in this series of doing sculpture, did have a meaning. And that's the first thing that I did that did have a meeting. I was sitting here, same seat, and I was thinking about a time when I was very, when I was quite little, six, seven, eight years old, and I liked little things, and I had my bureau, a low bureau, of course I was little, and I had some little sculptures on the bureau, and one was a little carved thing that had, see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil, three monkeys. Yeah. And that was an expression that somebody had given it to me or whatever I had. it. And all my life I've had that expression in my head. And I sat here and for some reason I did a loop back to when I was seven, eight, nine, ten. And I realized my whole life I've carried that in my head and it's the exact opposite of who I am. I want to speak more. I want to hear more and I want to see more. It's the opposite. We're given this thing to remember as an adage, as almost a religious belief, and it's 100% wrong. So I did a sculpture of a head, a rather violent head, and it doesn't look triangular, but you can walk all the way around it, it all goes into one another. And one side is a a face, rather violent face, with its mouth way open, tongue hanging out, yelling, but it has no eyes. And another side has two bulging eyes, but no mouth. And the other side is all ears. And it turned out very well. So yesterday, I, I, so I have that in the living room, it's out of bronze and it's on a stand. It looks, it looks nice, people like it. And I had, since it was scanned, I had a huge one made about three or four foot high. It's Ferrari red. It's huge. And I have it out in the garden because it's made of resin. And it's a great, there was a subject. Speak more, listen more, see more. The opposite of what we're told in our whole life. So that had a subject. I love that. Parenthetically, these have been at this uh, big uh, caster who does the casting for all the artists for Art Basel, which is in Miami now. They have a big Art Basel show, so they, they're a big, big caster, and they do bronze casting very much. So they're always busy and backed up. But I like them, and they like me. And, I, and they, they say, 
you can't believe that your work here, everybody, people come in, they want to know, who's is this? Where does he show? Where, where do they, you know, how do we get these? These are amazing. You're making multiple copies. And they said, no, no, he's just a, he's just an old Jew who does these things. <laughs> they don't say that. No. <laughs> uh, but he's just an old guy who does these sculptures. And we cast him for them. How much does he want? You know, what do you think they're worth? He said, he said, we'll give you $35,000 for it. Wow. So okay. what I'm saying is people like them. I love the, I love the see more, hear more. It's amateur night at the circus. No, 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 no. I love the, I love the see more, hear more, um, talk more. That one, I, I, I realized I wasn't telling the truth, but I didn't tell you that, that, that one of my things had a meaning. Meaning. All right. I love it. Okay. I love it. Richard, thank you. Thank you for today. I appreciate, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, when I'm down in Florida, I can come by and say hi and see some of your, um, some of your paintings and your sculptures. If you will, or in a year, you'll see the show. I'm going to have a whole show. I, I would love to see that. I would definitely come down for that. It's about a year. All right. Okay. okay. Bye. Thank you, Richard. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.